This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Welcome to the Be Here Now Network guest podcast. This series features talks from a myriad of modern spiritual teachers expanding on how we can all live a life in balance. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash guest. So welcome everyone. I'm Locke Kelly and I'm so happy to be joined by Stephen Bodian, who is in Arizona. Uh, we're really happy to talk about the subject that's really dear to our hearts and something we've spent many years uh, exploring in our own consciousness and through dialogues with our students and other fellow teachers. Um, the topic is beyond mindfulness to explore effortless mindfulness. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk a little bit about the subject and then we have some callers uh, who will either be typing in their questions or raising their hand, and we'll call on you, and we'll be able to hear your questions and dialogue with you at that time. So I thought what we would do to begin is have uh, Stephen Bodian say hello and begin to talk a little about the topic for tonight, which I hope you'll all enjoy. Okay. Over to you. Okay, thanks very much, Locke, and welcome everyone. It's always great to be with you and on this Zoom platform, this virtual reality that we share. Uh, so uh, this uh, dialogue uh, arises out of some conversations that Locke and I have had uh, about our respective uh, perspectives and books uh, and approach to uh, teaching presence, teaching meditation, uh, and um, we noticed uh, quite a few similarities, uh, as there would be naturally, uh, since we're teaching a more direct approach. And we thought a dialogue uh, together uh, in more depth that we would share with other people would be a, a good thing to do. So here we are. Uh, so um, it, it, this, it, as Locke says, this is something that no doubt he and certainly I have been exploring for much of my life, actually. Uh, you know, I began as a Zen monk, a Zen practitioner, and then a monk for many years, as about 10 years, and spent a lot of time in mindfulness practice, you know, in the very traditional mindfulness practice. And after all those years, um, 
I found that I had become very good at being very concentrated and very focused and very present. <clears throat> but I also found, excuse me, that my practice had become very dry and lifeless. So at a certain point, I felt in all integrity that I had to leave the, uh, the Zen tradition and explore other things, right? I just felt like the uh, injunction to sit more, which I kept getting from my teachers, wasn't cutting it, you know? Do more mindfulness, do more mindfulness. I realized that there had to be another step, right? Um, and I found in working with students that this is a very common theme, uh, perhaps because I've written a book be called, called Beyond Mindfulness. People who've come to a certain uh, impasse in their own mindfulness practice seem to find me out and uh, say similar things. They share the experience that I had. Um, so I had the good fortune, after exploring some Tibetan Buddhist practice for a while, and to stumble upon a teacher who told me to stop meditating, uh, certainly don't make a habit of it. And uh, he said that the only reason to meditate was to find out the meditator, right? And he, this was Jean Klein, and he said that uh, meditation conditions the mind. And what we're looking for is to discover unconditioned mind. So that the more we condition the mind, the farther we are taken away from our innate unconditioned mind, right? So uh, the fact is that um, most forms of meditation, and of course we're talking particularly about mindfulness, but there are other forms of meditation, condition the mind in a certain way. Uh, and uh, this can be very beneficial. I've written some books on mindfulness, even though I, don't, I haven't practiced it for a very long time in the traditional way, uh, because it has enormous benefits. Uh, if you sit quietly and follow your breath uh, on a regular basis, shift your attention from your thoughts, past and future, into the present moment, uh, it uh, helps with anxiety, uh, depression, uh, health problems. Uh, you know, there are numerous uh, uh, MRI studies of brains uh, uh, under the influence of meditation and how uh, mindfulness meditation actually changes the brain in what would be considered positive ways, right? And there's a great deal of research on this. Um, the only problem with that is that, first of all, you are determining beforehand what's positive and negative. And uh, you are, uh, again, conditioning the mind uh, in, a, in a very particular way. Okay? So what I discovered with uh, John Klein, uh, quite soon after I met him, after I was given the permission, you could say, which was very welcome, to stop this habitual practice of meditation on a regular uh, basis and just explore, uh, as they say in Zen, turn the light inwardly to illuminate that which is always aware. Right? And very soon afterward, there was an awakening to this uh, presence, this uh, awake awareness, which is always here. Right. So the usual way that mindfulness is taught is what would be called, as I talk about in my book, 
a progressive approach, okay? We are practicing mindfulness in order to develop certain mind states, certain qualities of mind, in order to be able to perhaps have deep insight into our true nature. And in the meantime, perhaps develop uh, certain qualities of mind that are considered uh, beneficial and to avoid certain negative qualities of mind. Again, this is progressive and there's a sense of an ongoing self-improvement project, shall we say, right? We're endlessly improving, endless self-perfection, okay? Uh, one day when I was doing a retreat, um, it all kind of came to a head for me. It all kind of dawned on me. Uh, I was sitting very hard, as I use, uh, am accustomed to doing, was accustomed to doing, uh, you know, sitting in a very focused way. And uh, suddenly it became apparent to me that uh, here I was efforting to be mindful and I was surrounded and engulfed and uh, contained in uh, an awareness which was so vast and so clear and so pure that the whole practice of mindfulness seemed like a joke. I broke out laughing in the middle of the retreat. It's like, what is, what is the point? It seems completely unnecessary. Uh, as I say in my book, uh, to practice mindfulness uh, is like um, shining a flashlight at midday in an attempt to make things brighter. Once you recognize the innate sun of mind, sun of awake awareness, then the whole idea of shining this little flashlight here and there uh, becomes uh, kind of uh, humorous, right? Um, so instead of meditation, uh, we talk about in the Tibetan Dzogchen tradition, which I studied for a number of years, we talk about non-meditation. So we're really talking about discovering our natural state, okay? Uh, the more, so there are the pitfalls of mindfulness, of doing mindfulness, are that, um, first of all, we have the sense that we have to constantly effort to generate a certain state called mindfulness, right? Called awake awareness, called awareness, right? That awareness requires effort. Um, but um, in the direct approach, which is what I call what I teach, there's really a direct pointing to the nature of mind, to our natural state of inherent wakefulness, which is always already present, right? You don't have to do anything to make it happen. You don't have to generate it. And in fact, the whole idea that you have to do something in order uh, to make awareness happen uh, just takes us away from this innate, inherent wakefulness, which is uh, limitless, all-pervasive, timeless, non-locatable, right? And ultimately is realized to be who we really are, our essence, you know, our, our ground, right? Uh, so in terms of awakening, see, in, in terms of everyday life, for many people, 
mindfulness is an extraordinary uh, uh, gift, really, an extraordinary practice, which allows them, allows us to um, have a little space, right? Have a little distance from the contents of our mind, right? Um, the more that we can be present for thoughts and feelings, uh, the more that we can recognize that perhaps we are not our thoughts and feelings, right? Um, but still, this notion that we have to generate it becomes a pitfall further down the road. So initially, uh, and for many years, for many people, it can be an excellent practice that is moving us toward awakening. But at a certain point, it's almost like, as I did, we hit a wall, you know. And uh, another reason for that wall is that in the, uh, in the very fabric of mindfulness practice is a separation between subject and object, you see. Now, spontaneously, that subject and object split can dissolve in the midst of mindfulness practice. But the very notion of being mindful, mindful of objects, I am being mindful of objects, right? There's a split between the one who's being mindful and the objects, the contents of awareness, of which I, the mindful person, am being mindful, right? And that split can get subtler and subtler as you become a more and more experienced meditator. And I found people who've meditated in this way for many years have a really hard time giving up being this mindful person, you know, <laughs> this mindful mind, you know, that uh, they've become so adept and accustomed uh, to practicing, you see. Uh, so why go that long way around, you see? Uh, if you have practiced mindfulness, then by all, you know, by all means, then you, know, you can continue your practice if you'd like, but we're offering an alternative here. But you know, what I discovered is why go all the way around, right? Uh, and in my own case, I was introduced to this direct approach to direct pointing. And what I found in working with people is uh, that it's possible to point directly in this way and to discover it uh, in an instant, in a moment, without the elaborate practice, right? So let's um, do a little exercise, just a quick one here, a little taste. <clears throat> it's one I like to play with because it's kind of humorous. Is um, I'd like you to, if you'd like to join here, uh, to close your eyes. You can do this uh, you know, with eyes open too, but it kind of has a more dramatic uh, feel to it. If you close your eyes, and then um, when you open your eyes, I'm gonna ask you to try to be aware, okay? So open your eyes and try to be aware. as you may have discovered, uh, there's absolutely no need to try to be aware, right? As soon as you open your eyes, awareness is there. It's present, right? There's no effort involved, uh, no practicing involved, no doing involved. 
all you did was open your eyes and awareness was present, you see. So awareness is always present in every moment of experience. In fact, there would be no experience without awareness. Awareness is the sine qua non, that which, without which experience could not take place. So uh, it's really more about recognizing the awareness that's always already taking place. So right now, you can do just that. As you're sitting with eyes open, you can be aware that awareness is taking place, right? There are the contents of awareness, but then there's awareness itself, right? And awareness itself can't become an object of awareness in the same way that a, a desk can or a computer can, but we can become aware of awareness as the background, as the ground, as the space in which experience is taking place. So, and this is what the meditations that I lead people on, and Mark, of course, leads people on, is it more of an invitation to discover and recognize the awareness that's always already taking place, and then to learn to rest in that, to rest as that. I sometimes say fall awake, you know, fall back in to the awakeness that's always already taking place. And in fact, it turns out to be less a matter of doing, in fact, not at all, a matter of doing, creating, particular state, but more a, a matter of letting go of the manufacture of states, letting go of the fixations. Because it's, it's more like the clouds that obscure the sun of our innate awareness. It's more like letting go of the clouds. So the tendency uh, in, for most of us is to fixate our attention. You know, we, we fixate on past and future. We fixate on problems. Uh, you know, we fixate on concerns. We fixate on our work. We're constantly fixating, right? So uh, awake awareness, our natural state, is actually the absence of fixation. It's pure openness, right? So it's really more about letting go of fixation, which allows us to return to our innate openness. And uh, that's the more the journey of the path is more about letting go of fixation and rediscovering, uh, reacquainting ourselves, falling back into the awareness that's always already taking place. Okay. And, and in doing that, we're not fabricating any states. Okay. Uh, any, uh, you know, I work a lot with people who have had some spiritual experience, some state, and want to regain it. And of course, my first advice is to uh, let go of trying to recreate anything and become aware of that which is aware of that state and of the desire to have another state, right? Um, so uh, when we generate states, when we try to be mindful, 
there, it, it has the quality of suppressing uh, uh, our innate aliveness, particularly emotional expression. Uh, you know, a certain deliberate mindfulness, as Locke likes to call it, the practice of mindfulness in a traditional way, even though it can make us more attuned to emotions in some way, also can be subtly suppressive. So the, the real, the openness to whatever is, the openness to whatever arises. Now, of course, in some way, one could say that is a kind of mindfulness. And, and Locke will uh, speak about that when he talks about effortless mindfulness, which is a beautiful way to talk about what I tend to call uh, openness uh, or a natural state of uh, innate wakefulness. Um, so uh, that's sort of a, a little um, map of the, uh, the territory, you know, uh, the direct approach to innate wakefulness as opposed to practicing and doing uh, a particular mind state, which in inevitably, uh, in Zen, there's an expression, uh, don't put another head on top of your own, okay? So practicing mindfulness is putting another head on top of our own. We have a perfectly good head. It's just a matter of discovering our perfectly good head, innate wakefulness, our natural state, and um, not trying to constantly put another head on top of our own, okay? So that's a, a few things there. A lot for you to bounce off of. Uh, look forward to our conversation. <clears throat> Wonderful. Thank you so much for that, uh, that uh, sharing and pointing and talking. Um, <clears throat> yes, I mean, just to say very clearly that Stephen and I uh, are not uh, denigrating mindfulness in its deliberate form. In fact, <clears throat> I turned on the TV to watch some Olympics the other day, and who was there on public TV but Stephen Bodian teaching mindfulness? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you caught me. It's my other gig. It's my day job. But but all that to say that I teach, you know, I've taught mindfulness. I teach mindfulness. I think it's uh, what we're calling deliberate mindfulness or basic mindfulness or initial mindfulness It are the traditional practices that in Mahayana and uh, uh, Vajrayana, Tibetan Buddhism, Dzogchen, Mahamudra are considered um, preliminary or initial practices uh, that are valuable and one way to calm the mind and soothe the body. Now, <clears throat> what I think in contemporary practice that we found and many others have found is that once you calm and s calm the mind and focus it, or focus to calm or calm to focus. <laughs> Uh, then you enter a state where if it could be a stepping stone, but if you don't know where to go, you keep doing the initial practice. It's like, um, you know, stretching to warm up for tennis, but you never get to play. You know, it's like <laughs> the goal is awakening and in its gradual path. Uh, and for those who uh, are in that <clears throat> mode, it, you know, it's more of a gradual uh, meditation-based approach. But both of us, uh, while having tried the 
the gradual, the medium, and the direct have chosen the direct because we found it's direct. I don't know, that seems to be. <clears throat> because once it shows up, um, it's quite remarkable. Um, I had uh, gone off to study in Sri Lanka and did a six-month in the university and monasteries and did 10-day retreats, 21-day retreats, uh, um, and Vipassana. In fact, <clears throat> one time after a 10-day retreat, like four months into my studies, I had reached kind of like two days where I had no thoughts and I was just in this and I thought, okay, I've got it. I'm, I'm awake. I'm, uh, this is it. I think this is it. And we didn't have any dokasans or teacher. <clears throat> there was, it was a fairly big group. And so I got on the bus going down through these tea plantations in Sri Lanka and the bus started getting more and more crowded and it was in the afternoon, late afternoon, after people were getting off from work. And about an hour down the road, <clears throat> a man who seemed clearly drunk got on, was pushing everyone uh, around as he was like stumbling back to the back of the bus. And then he kicked me square in the shin, like full on in the shin. And I just went, ah, stop that. What are you doing? And all of a sudden, everything was back. <laughs> So, oh well. Oh well. So, so I thought to myself, "Aha! So maybe, maybe there's some other, other way to, uh, to go about this." And that thought stopping or that calm abiding was calm abiding. It was calm. Um, but I think you know I'll I'll share this one little science uh, piece early in our talk so we don't put put everyone to sleep. But um, there, one of the things. Uh, that they're studying in the fMRIs that relates both to deliberate mindfulness and now there's been a study that I was part of uh, related to more of effortless mindfulness is uh, they discovered what's called the default mode network in the brain. And this is two uh, modes of the brain that just go on and off. It's not just one location, but it's literally uh, networks that come on and go off. And what they're doing is one is alternating to look out toward tasks, and then it alternates to go in, either to look inside or to go back into daydream. So when you sit and try to watch your breath, you'll notice you go to sleep or you go to daydream um, or you go to thinking mind, you look at your thoughts, or you go to what's happening in the room, someone coughing. So you're pretty much either going to sleep state or the default mode is taking you in to look at your thoughts or daydream or out to, to hear what's going on in the room and think about what you're going to do and, and what kind of task and remember, oh, I've got to do a task. So what they found is that um, when you do one-pointed attentional meditation, you repress the internal mode of the default mode network, you have one of the two modes on, and that creates a calm state. When you do observation of contents of consciousness, open monitoring, or what is kind of traditionally called vipassana, or uh, the four foundations of mindfulness, watching your thoughts, feelings, sensations, uh, contents of mind, um, uh, then uh, 
you're repressing the task mode network, the external, and you're just looking internal. So you actually get insight and calm, but you can't live by just being aware of inside. You can't operate it by just being external. And so this study that they did at NYU, um, Zoran Josipovic had myself and about uh, 12 mostly Tibetan Buddhists who do Mahamudra Dzogchen style awareness of awareness. Uh, we basically became aware of awareness. And the key is that awareness is aware inside and out. And so this is one of the key pointers um, that I point to, to just notice when you're aware of the awareness that's aware of thoughts and sensations, that rather than forming a meditator that's a head on top of a head or a point of view, that you feel that there's no location to that awareness or you check to see if you're aware of the awareness that's here by itself, aware of what's going on outside, of what's going on inside, it doesn't need to alternate. That that awareness is seamless and continuous and not latching on to what it's aware of. It doesn't need to attend to it. It's actually... Uh, unified with it. So it's not even, ultimately what you discover, it's not even like a big sky aware of things passing through, but it's really more like an ocean of awareness that everything is dancing within and arising from and passing. So you feel this embodiment and unity in this. It's not a, a more detached state. It's not a spaced out. There's some um, uh, halfway points from deliberate mindfulness to being aware of awareness where people get caught in kind of a spaced out or actually a no self-witness position where they're looking from sky and they're detached from their body, thinking they're only uh, this pure awareness and they're not their body. But from more the non-dual Buddhist view that form is emptiness, but emptiness is form, that you start to realize that there is more of an almost tantric feeling, that there's a, a unity that all the 10,000 things that are <clears throat> dancing are, um, are <laughs> on the screens or wherever they are, are the uh, are are not separate from what's aware and what you're aware from, which is really one of the definitions of emptiness, which means that there's there's a continuous there's not an independent thing that exists, which doesn't mean it's a vacuum. It means that there's a a non separation or a, a a sense of almost more. Oh, you know, the awareness is arising as your body and as everyone else. So you kind of drop into feeling home is what most people feel like. So, <clears throat> um, so the, uh, the sense of uh, fixation is really um, 
the main obstacle? Is the fixation from one part of you or a feeling of having to create a manager or which is more from your mind and identity? And then the other one is distraction caused by your body brain, which is happening um, <clears throat> on a level that is just taking you uh, to these different modes and distracting you from being aware. Um, so the fixation part is this creation of um, a location and an identity and a self-referencing in order to orient whether you're operating and relating to other people or being creative or even meditating. You have this orientation, location, a little mini-me um, that's made of thought. That's the thing. It's made of thought, sensation, feeling, and it creates a little sense, usually for most people, that there's a little uh, entity or pattern that feels like me that's looking out of your eyes. It's like located between your head or for some people, they're more, it's your whole body, but it's almost like a cloud um, that is the center from which you use attention to create subject-object. And that little pattern is really just made of thought, looping on thought and emotion. And it's trying to solve the problem of identity, of like, who am I? What am I doing? Where do I get relief from this perpetual dissatisfaction that's going on. Um, so the body's boundary program is kind of co-opted by this thought pattern and it keeps trying to get something to eat and trying to protect itself from some threat, but there's actually no threat and there's nothing to get on the level of identity. So when this pattern drops and you're aware from awareness, you still have things to do, issues, stuff to, to decide, human problems, you know, but the suffering about suffering is gone. And the, when the location of this problem solver of identity relaxes. So uh, one kind of fun, simple pointer to see if what happens when this little mini me or this identity-based problem solver just relaxes to see what's here uh, is just to ask yourself this simple inquiry. So just eyes open or closed. Just simply uh, curiously looking with awareness. Just ask yourself what's here now when there's no problem to solve. And then just don't look to thought and don't go to sleep. Just let your awareness look to what's here when there's no problem to solve just now. And so if you just feel 
what it's like to not orient by thought. But as if awareness is orienting to awareness and surrendering to that awareness, which is already aware of itself as itself by itself, that includes everything is just aware without effort. So just get a feel for what this is like. And you might even ask, where are you aware from? If you're not aware from this little location, just feel where this awareness is aware of your knee from. Where is it aware of the space in the room from? Where is it aware of itself from? Just feel how you're aware of your body from within and all around, just that kind of almost, ah, could even take a little breath and ah, just let yourself kind of feel this continuous field of spacious awareness that's spacious and pervasive and interconnected. And just feel whether it's, are you aware of the awareness? Or are you the awareness that's aware of thoughts, feelings, sensations? And what if, what is it like if the thoughts, feelings, and sensations are made of awareness? So that's uh, <clears throat> that's a little uh, little beginning of a invitation to everyone here. Stephen, did you want to say another something or? Uh, well, no, it's very similar. You know, some of your meditations obviously very similar to the one <laughs> that I offer. People feels very resonant. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, it, it seems for many people that the trajectory of awakening often is to wake up as this pure awareness uh, separate from form yeah, and then to ultimately wake down, you could say, or wake yeah. into yeah. Uh, this non-dual non uh, recognition that awareness and the objects of awareness are not separate. There's, you know, there's no one perceiving, there's nothing perceived, there's, uh, you know, there's just perceiving yes. you know, the field of perception without someone doing it and without separate objects. That is usually, um, yeah. in my experience, uh, a, a, um, a kind of a denouement, you know, a, 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 the unfolding, the evolution of awakening right. uh, usually ends up there. But initially, so I'm saying this also for people who've had this experience to acknowledge, you know, validate that experience that yeah. to wake up as awareness, pure awareness, yeah. <clears throat> separate from form is a beautiful step, you know, yes. uh, it's not complete. Uh, and then, so then there's the exploration of, you know, is, uh, you know, what is the substance of what is, is it actually, 
made up of anything uh, other than experience. And, and what is experience made of? Right. Gee, experience is made of awareness. So, gee, awareness <laughs> and experience and, and objects are all one. You know? Yeah. Then there's that deeper recognition. That's right. But, uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you've w- awakened as just pure awareness, uh, that's beautiful. Yes. And then, you know, there's this fruition, you could say. Yes. It still wants to take place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it is it is interesting as we're kind of, you know, we're coming from a certain view that Stephen and I and a number of our colleagues, both from many different traditions, share, um, you know, from, uh, you know, having, you know, dialogued with Adi Ashanti and, actu- and actually uh, someone like Father Thomas Keating, who has a similar view from the Christian contemplative tradition, um, from Tibetan and Zen and um, some Advaita teachers, but there's definitely, you know, since we're doing a little, you know, unfolding as well, that there are definitely people who define awakening as kind of a emotionless detachment um, in a number of traditions. I just heard a couple of them. So we're just saying that that often is a stage um, of the separating out from the such the strong uh, dominance of thought, emotion, instinct, uh, even attention. So attention is such a thing that's used. And even in Zen, they say, what's Zen about? Attention. And what else? Attention, attention. And what else? Attention, attention, attention. But actually, attention will is one of the greatest traps to hold you because it, it fixes you in subject, object, and you can get very good at it. So <clears throat> to experience that, that which is beyond form as formless, pure awareness, even like literally three seconds to three minutes is often what I say. But just to see um, and also to let the parts of you that are afraid of that as if you're going to die or as if you're going to, you know, disappear or space out or lose your mind, you know, like these are the things that all of our system is saying, don't, don't lose your mind, don't go out of your head, don't, you know, don't space out, don't become nobody. And you're just discovering that the impersonal awareness is the foundation of the personal. And the personal is is a mammal and is here. And, you know, some people say, well, when I realized that I wasn't the person I thought, then there was no Locke. There's no one here named Locke. I don't, there's only awareness that's making choices. I go to the grocery store and things end up in my cart. And it's just, there's no doer. So it's just awareness. And that's kind of a phase but some people plant their flagpole and try to live there. And many of the people who come to me for individual sessions from around the world usually say, hello, yes, my uh, girlfriend or boyfriend or partner or wife or husband has said that I'm detached and spaced out and and I don't think I am. (laughs) And then they usually find out that they were. (laughs) <laughs> this is called Zen sickness. Yeah. Zen sickness, yeah. It's a great Zen sickness, you know. 
Yeah. And it's interesting because it, it tends to be more in the Indian traditions. There's a tendency right. in Indian traditions to separate out more a subtle yeah. non-dualism between, you know, kind of transcendence, you know, yes. the emphasis on transcendence. The good thing about the Buddhist tradition, which you and I are rooted in, yeah. is you know, from the very get-go, it's about integration. You know, yeah. form is emptiness, emptiness is form. You know, you know there's yeah. no separating out. But again, sometimes that's the way it goes. Yeah. You do, yes. you do have right. that. And I think it's really important to have a really clear recognition of pure awareness. Yes, I think you know? so too. I, yeah. I tend you know, to think yeah. you don't have to have it, but if you're going to go... If you're going to go step by step, definitely check it out because if you, it seems to be one of the most helpful um, stages. Yeah, you don't want to get stuck there. No. But the other, the other risk or you know possible pitfall is that you kind of go directly from you know the contents of awareness into some kind of supposed integration, whereas in fact you haven't recognized you know the, the that aware, pure awareness, yes. which is you could say from the Buddhist tradition is really emptiness, right? Yes. Which the essence of what is. So to really have a, a deep appreciation of that as well. That's right. Very important. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, and that's, that's the way I tend to point. I have found people that get stuck in awareness. I have found people that are able to go right to uh, right. Un kind of more unity and they're clearly have the ground of being is, is um, empty clarity. That is also appearance, but then other people can get caught in kind of what's called simultaneous mind or um, kind of bliss, bliss um, uh, state uh, that is more of a um, <clears throat> not, it's kind of a, almost a shamanic state of uh, a bliss. And, and, and they're in a realm of consciousness or uh, neom or another state, another yeah. state, but it's, it's more pleasant, but it's, Right. It's not it's clear. State. It's not clear. Yeah, it's a state. And like any state, it will go. Yes, it'll eventually it'll go. Anything yeah. that comes and goes is yeah. not who you really are. It's not your your yeah. true nature, as we say in Zen. So yeah. So uh, yeah. So that you know that's important to kind of feel the um, and so one of the things I kind of uh, feel is to really let yourself realize that even attention or mindfulness can't recognize awareness that you've either got to do the resting method of letting go. So awareness, you rest back into awareness, but what's actually resting back has to be awareness. <laughs> awareness has to kind of detach or unhook or unblend from the fixation. You can't use attention to look at awareness, it's got to either fall back or turn back. Right. Uh, and you'll feel the difference. You won't know, you know, those who are listening are like, what's that? How do you do that? And in some ways, so the trick is that you can't do it. But if you're I fixated and you hear, all right, now, please rest as awareness or have awareness, look back. So you can understand that with your mind, your small mind and intellect. Okay. I'm about to have awareness rest as awareness. Then the one who's hears that and is going to do it. The awareness has to let go 
of that one that was about to do it and just has to leave that doer or the meditator or the one with the desire for awareness to look at awareness. And as soon as awareness rests or unhooks or detaches, you are actually no longer the doer, but you are the awareness moving to find the awareness that then is coming back to be aware of itself. Right. Which it was already, so it's that strange paradoxical um, dance that you kind of like riding a bicycle. You just have to feel it. You know, what is one it like? I, one of the things I tend to emphasize with people is that awareness being aware of itself is not the, the usual kind of objective knowing. Right. It's, it's not objectification. That's it's it. A kind, yeah. The kind of knowing, I, I think this is where the word gnosis comes from, yeah. or, 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 or jnana, which is from the same root as gnosis. Uh, it, it's a kind of grokking, right? A, yes. A, a, right. a knowing that bypasses the mind. Yes. Uh, but you can't be looking for some kind of knowing of awareness, which is an objective knowing. It's a very different kind of knowing. And, and I would say this is what initial awakening is, really. Yeah. Uh, yes. Is that is the awareness no, becoming aware of itself in this uh, rather you know, unusual and mysterious way, which dawns on you. Right. You know, it's not something you cannot ever do. It kind of yeah. dawns, you know. Yeah. Uh, Although awareness can, in the inquiry method, can be aware of awareness, just like in a pointer. Uh -huh. uh, uh, so that, you know, one of the keys is that is both frustrating and helpful is the knowing is non-conceptual, non-symbolic. Right. So the way it knows is not using thought. And what it knows is not a thing, a symbol That's right. or a thought. Mm -hmm. And so that is like makes the thinking mind and the manager and the ego identity crazy. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Right. It, it, it's a stalemate for the mind. The mind yes, it's a stalemate. stymied at every turn. That's, and that's right. what you want. Yes, and that's what you want. It's when the mind is stymied that there's a potential that there is, as John Klein used to call it, an upgiving. Okay. <laughs> an upgiving. A giving up, you know. Giving up. And then you kind of stumble into it, you know. Yes. Fall that's into right. it. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I feel like maybe we should, we'll open, open up. up. Yeah. Just have 25 minutes, 35 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we'll see. Looks like we have one here. So I'm going to try this one. Um, and then you'll ask a question and one of us will answer. Um, or we can do a little dialogue. So we won't see you. But now are you unmuted yourself, Cynthia? Go ahead and ask your question. Um. I guess I wanted to know, uh, you, you mentioned Father Keating, who is the main person that I've been, has been my teacher. Yes. And um, so you must be familiar with centering prayer. Yes. And how does that fit in? Because it seems to me there's an awful lot of resting, but not looking. You call it looking. And I just wanted to say, no. when I start doing some of your methods, which I've read your book, I start, there starts getting to be um, too much efforting, even though I know you're supposed to let go of effort. 
Yes. But somehow it, that becomes a whole process of this looking in the looker and the efforter instead of just, that's why I just sometimes just go back to the resting because it yeah. uh, can still open me up uh, in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the two, the two main methods, there's different styles of learners and different um, strengths and blocks for different people. Um, you know, there's visual types and auditory types and, you know, more resting types and inquiry types. So you should follow what works for you. Um, I think both of us have resting practices and inquiry practices. Um, <clears throat> the centering prayer is, you know, kind of a little mixture of both. Um, it's a little more of a mantra-based um, meditation, so it has a little focus of um, <clears throat> intention and prayerful uh, surrender, but focus on, at least for a little bit of time, one uh, word or sentiment. Um, but the the the... The thing is, with any even resting or looking, it's the it's kind of the handoff. <laughs> Whether you rest, uh, you or look, awareness looks. Um, when it finds, it's called recognition, and there can be some peace that passes understanding, and some. But then, it's really moving from recognition to realization that the peace is not something that's relaxing you, but that you've rested until you discover that the peace is the ground of who you are. So that's the, you know, those are the pointers that, that move beyond just the simple starting places, even of some of the resting or inquiry practices, like who am I or um, centering prayer or others. Um, so thanks so much for your question. Okay. All right. <laughs> I have, I have one, another one, but I don't know if you have a bunch of people waiting. I'll, I'll, uh, maybe ask it later if no one oh, else. Okay. Keep your hand up and I'll come back to you if, uh, all right. After a couple others. Okay. You want to go Stephen and, uh, Oh, this one, how does the fish looking for the ocean? Is that? Uh, sure. How does the fish looking for the ocean embrace awareness of the ocean and being the ocean? <laughs> well, I, I think that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> <laughs> Recognizing that's what uh, Locke was saying. Recognizing yourself as the ground of being. Recognize yeah. yourself as the ocean. Um, you know, that sense of being a separate fish in a separate, you know, in an ocean separate from you, uh, kind of dissolves and you realize that you're the ocean and the fish simultaneously, you know. Um, but I think the, the way is to uh, recognize the ocean and let go into it. You know, we were talking about a, a kind of a letting go of the fixation, the localization and falling back into the ocean. I, I tend to use the word openness a lot, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, as, a, as a pointer. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, you're open to the openness, you know, and you fall back into the openness and recognize that the openness contains everything like the ocean and that you are that, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, the the how is is this um, is this dance that we're doing? We're playing uh, in the direct um, <clears throat> method. It's you know, it's kind of like uh, you know this um, upgiving or giving up or surrender or letting go. But um, <clears throat> there's a feeling. It's it's really to me. It's it's like learning to balance on a bicycle. There's some you know how do you do it? Give me a theory of balancing on a bicycle. Um, okay, here's the theory. When you start to fall left, lean right. <laughs> That's my theory. You know, so so the 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 we give like what's called the view or the description, um, which kind of tells is basically saying uh, here's what not to look for. Here's kind of what it's like if this shows up. <laughs> You know, be curious about that. Don't be so curious about these other states or this other um, uh, need to think or to do or to uh, focus on other. So that's just a view. But then we play with uh, little ways of resting or unhooking or unfixating um, that, you know, that if you come to... um, you know, um, one of our retreats or listen to our uh, audios, you'll get a bunch of little um, little pointers or uh, glimpse practices um, that start to build on each other. Shall we try another here? So we have somebody else who's raised their hand. Um, and can you unmute yourself? Hi. Uh, my question is, I think you've been kind of covering it, but it's where you left off uh, before the Q&A about using the mind to find this space. And I find myself stuck in, uh, in the same way. I, I guess that's the thorn with the thorn. and it's. Uh, uh, but I use the mind as a tool, and I can't give up using the mind as a tool. I'm saying awareness, background of awareness, or, you know, so... I don't know if you've covered it enough, but if you have anything else you'd like to add. Stephen, anything from you? Uh, I, the way it was phrased, it seems like it was more of a question for you. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a lot of, um, you know, to just even just for a moment. So let's say, okay, so let's try this. So, um, can you be aware of seeing something in front of you? Mm-hmm. Now be aware of hearing. Now be aware of the sensation in your left hand. Now be aware of the space in the room. Now be aware of what's aware of the space without referring to thought. So just be aware of the space, aware that awareness is aware of the space, and just notice the tendency to go to thought, but just let thought move. And just notice this alertness that knows.
So even if you get a little gap of awareness of space that's happening without a thinker, without orienting by thought, do you have any sense of that even just for a moment? Yes, the thinker keeps trying to come back in and... Yeah. Not a a problem. Just... Let the thinker do what it does and just let the awareness continue. Let this be there. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's not a problem. I think that's really key. Yes. Yeah. Thought's not a problem. And even it's almost the same way we're trying to separate awareness. Then we have to separate it from thought Mm -hmm. so that thought is not stopped, but it's not where you're knowing from. And it's not even required to be alert and aware and awake. That's, that's really the words, rather than even knowing. Just alert, aware of the space. Awareness is aware, it's aware of the space. And then if the thinker or thoughts come in, you're just aware of the thinker or thoughts. Mm-hmm. As a, so they become the, the object rather than the subject. Right. Just that little, just even getting a little, like, minute or two, it's like, whoa, right? What did, what did you notice, Brian? Uh, like I said, I did the pointers help. And I yeah. am able to find that space a little bit, but the tool keeps coming back, but, but that's helpful. Yeah, so just that little, even those little glimpses, because it's going to lose, it loses its... Um, its centrality and it's like um, it loses its its legal argument <laughs> that it can't it can't ever say no no you cannot be aware without thought so as soon as one moment you're aware of it as a thinker as an object then it's like you cannot be aware of that thought it becomes like a little part of you rather than you. Mm-hmm. And it moves to being a functional part of you um, that gives you the freedom from being dominated by that, you know, I think, therefore I am. So you discover that you, I am, regardless of thought or no thought. There's an amness or an awareness that's the same feeling of being. Great, thank you. All right, thanks so much, Brian. Stephen, do you see any any of the typed questions that you like? Oh, let me look. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there's some two questions here. Great. What exactly is the practice? Locke talks about glimpses. What would I do if I didn't have a practice? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, the practice is really what we're describing here, you know. It's to uh, become aware of awareness and to uh, rest in and as awareness as the that which is experiencing, that which is aware, not from the mind, not from thought. Um, so, you know, I think we may teach different practices. Uh, you know, I tend to 
recommend uh, sitting quietly and just being open to what is, letting everything you could say be as it is, um, which again uh, is uh, kind of frustrating for the mind. The mind does not know how to do that, you know, letting everything be as it is. Just be open, rest as awareness, rest as the openness. The mind kind of goes offline, tends to go offline or doesn't know how to do it. So anything that you can actually uh, do uh, it can become a, a tool of the mind, you know? So that's why sitting, when I recommend sitting, is just letting everything be. Um, and then there can be some, as Locke is pointing to, some um, practices that are uh, about discovering awareness, uh, recognizing awareness, uh, differentiating awareness from thought, uh, and then resting as awareness. Um, yeah. There's also there can also be inquiry, of course. Yeah. Which is um, what is that? What is experiencing this moment right now? Is often a question people work with. A kind of who am I? What is the experiencer? Where is the experiencer? You know, thought can't experience. Right. Thought is another experience. So who or what is the experiencer? Where is it located? Um, discovering the, the, uh, the source of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, yeah. So um, this ne next question is written, says, I enjoy doing the practices you both recommend, uh, but not having an object of meditation means that I have a tendency to space out. Any suggestions? Right. Right, right. Do you want me to jump in on that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's okay. a, a kind of, that's a riding the bicycle thing. Yeah. Like, isn't it? A kind of riding the bicycle. You know, on the one hand, there's spacing out. Yeah. Kind of becoming just lost in, you know, in this kind of uh, spacey uh, experience. And the other is getting fixated on objects. So what yeah. is the openness that is fluid, and um, you know, unattached, not fixated, but it also isn't spacing out. It's present, it's pure presence, you could say, but there's no focus on any object, okay? Yeah. It's something to, uh, again, like riding a bicycle, something to discover, to feel your way into, I would say. Yeah, so. Um, and once you discover it, yeah, then it's easy to come back to it. It's like, there is this, there can be this moment where it's like, oh, there it is. It's like the sweet spot, you know? It's somewhere between really fixated and really spaced out. And then there's like this, oh, just present, open. And then uh, everything is as it is, very ordinary in some sense. Yeah. Did you have something to add to that point? Yeah, I thought, um, you know, kind of doing like a short version of that. Um, of that practice that I was sharing with Brian is um, that, you know, I'll, I'll lead, I'll lead you again, kind of what we're doing is we're in Buddhism thinking is considered the sixth sense. So it's actually not who you are. It's just equal. It's where your awareness is identified with and creates a fixation. So if we move awareness from thinking to seeing to hearing 
to sensation and then open it up to space until awareness kind of mingles with space and then you're curiously aware from the space that's already aware back to feel the primary field of spacious awareness, the secondary field of energetic aliveness, and then you could be mindful of one point like your breath. So you, so I'm just describing, and you, some of you may be already doing it, but I'll slow it down. Um, so we'll be aware of the awareness. Then from the awareness, which is none other than this aliveness, you'll realize that you're not aware from here. You're not using attention, but you're aware from effortless awareness that is, <clears throat> feels that sound, thoughts, sensations, and then it can also focus locally without losing its non-local awareness-based um, <clears throat> knowing quality, which is now knowing from non-conceptual mind. And so that in some ways is like a simple version of effortless mindfulness. What I mean by mindfulness from awake awareness is just attending to any task or um, relative reality <laughs> and realizing that there's some connection. So mindfulness almost becomes connection from the different mind, <laughs> from the nature of mind, from the awareness-based embodied mind, which then feels like it's connected to whatever it's aware of. So, <clears throat> so why don't we just try that? You know, again, I'm, I'm going a little quickly for some, but, you know, it's just also, you know, we're moving at the speed of awareness and these kind of meditations are on my audios or in my books. And if you're interested, people from around the world have gone through them, never having met me, never having uh, heard of me or non-dual or, and they literally don't even read the book, but they'll just go through the series of pointers and then they just write and say, oh my God, I don't even know what's happening, but I have the sense of well-being and connectedness and loss of anxiety, depression, and even chronic pain. And I feel like I'm home and I'm laughing and crying with my, you know. So the, the pointers are, are the, the riding of the bicycle. Um, the explanation of it is just a little orientation or view that Stephen and I are kind of, you know, kind of defining the territory, but uh, we can't explain. There's no way to say in words how to practice <laughs> in, right. in, in that it, it's... You have to we, find a way. You have to yeah. find a way. Kind of yeah. feel it. Yeah. I often people in a meditation like you were describing to begin with body sensing yes. as a way yeah. to disengage from the mind. Yeah. Begin with body sensing and then allow awareness to expand beyond the body. You know, yes. That's out. Right. Uh, so, and just and then come back to body yeah. as you were describing. But uh, because when we say, when I say be, just be open to what is, that can tend to be kind of from the upper, from the head. Yes, that's right. So I think coming into the body, 
then opening out from here, you know, makes it more experiential and uh, disengaged from the mind. Yes. It's a, a real, it's a beautiful doorway. I yeah. So I'll just do this like a few minutes, just takes a few minutes. And it's an interesting, it's what I call inquiry, but actually it's, it's turning awareness around or unhooking awareness from thought. So it's actually not a resting practice, but it's a, it's, it's assuming that, that when someone says, well, let awareness be aware of awareness, who I'm talking to is awareness. I'm talking to awareness in you. I'm not talking to you, the doer. So I'm just saying that having experienced this, your awareness knows how to unhook and know directly. If just like, you know, riding a bicycle. So if I say to you now, just notice how awareness is identified or attached to thought or sensation or a part of you, a managing part that wants to do it right. And you can either ask that part to give you some space or feel that awareness can literally uh, unhook and step back. And then awareness can drop and know your smile from within your smile. And then feel as if awareness is knowing your jaw from directly within your jaw. So not looking up to thought and not stretching attention down. Just let awareness drop like a bubble of intelligence, invisible. Awareness knows your throat from within your throat. And then just notice that awareness can move as it drops below your neck. And it can know your upper body or your heart space directly from within. And just notice what it's like to be directly aware of space, aliveness, and awareness from the same place you're aware of. Without orienting by thought. And then just let awareness begin to open to your whole body and begin to open while it remains within you to open to the space around you so that this awareness becomes aware of the space in the room, behind your heart, to the sides, above, below. And then let it mingle with space until you're aware of space. And then just curious whether you discover the spacious awareness that's already aware without your help. And if you do, just simply surrender just a little bit more so that you're aware that you've let go into this pure awareness that's aware of itself as timeless, boundless, contentless, alert, empty, clarity. And then just notice, am I aware of that spacious awareness? Or what's it like as that spacious awareness, if I remain open and become aware of sounds in the room, sensations, thoughts, 
and remain spacious and pervasive, feeling that the awareness is the ground, the space within all atoms and movement, and you're just aware of the field of movement outside and in equally, the awareness inside and out equally, but the awareness is aware without your help, without effort, effortlessly aware of aliveness, movement, and then without collapsing or creating a meditator, just be aware of your breath coming and going in one local area while still remaining aware of inside and out. Just breath happening by itself, awareness happening by itself, same, same. And then just notice that you can also just be aware of the screen in the same way you're aware of the breath, from the space, from the aliveness, from the interconnected, field of awareness without efforting, without creating a looker, just perceiving, happening by itself in this natural, spontaneous, easy, effortless mindfulness. So you could speak from here, you could listen from here, you could not, thoughts are happening, but you're not orienting by them to know just being naturally. Yeah? So there's a little, a little kind of pointer series from dropping to opening to including to interconnecting. So anybody want to comment on that practice? that those pointers or make any last comments or questions can either raise your hand or, or just enjoy it. Anything from you, Stephen, about that <laughs> sense of awareness that's aware from all around, from the space within and without, and also aliveness and focus? Uh, no, there's nothing more to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You teach in a different way from the way yeah. I teach. Yes. It's much more, in a certain way, uh, detailed in, in terms of the way the meditation is structured. Yeah, uh, you know, I tend to teach a little more uh, open sort of way, um, so it's a it's a different style. So yeah, uh, I appreciate. Yeah, I do. That. I do both. You know, in longer series, I do resting and openness mm -hmm. and pointing. But I find this once awareness is able to know itself as local awareness and spacious awareness, it's able. Then you're able to do glimpses during the day. Mm. Uh, so that you can unhook and drop and open and include in a way that you're just returning home. Uh, in the way I discovered it was I reverse engineered it from doing more of a resting openness. And then I was like, 
well, how am I aware of something locally? What's that? Is that attention? No, that's local awareness. Oh, and then what happens when I get identified or fixated? What happens? I'm collapsing. So let me just feel collapse now open. Now fixate. Now unhook. Now fixate. Now look out of that fixation. Now drop. And it just, it just became pretty clear that the intelligence of awareness uh, is able to kind of know itself in non-local and local ways that doesn't require long sitting. So let's see. Uh, so it looks like we, one more question for you and we'll finish up. It looks like there's a question for you at the bottom there from uh, at the bottom, the bottom of the. Uh, Stephen, can you talk about practice in the midst of daily life? Yeah. So we'll finish with that question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, uh, I mean, that is when the practice, uh, you know, the, the rubber hits the road. Um, so, uh, again, I think as Locke was describing, to, uh, to come from that place of not from that sense of a separate someone inside, but from that place of knowing yourself as awareness, relating to life from that place, which you could say is from the heart, yeah. you know? Uh, and luck, you know, and I haven't really talked about so much about That's the heart. Right. I think as we deepen in awareness, the heart lights up, right? Yeah. Really comes yeah. alive. And so there's a, a really direct connection between knowing yourself as awareness and knowing yourself as this heart uh, yeah. that, uh, you know, encompasses all things, you know? Yeah. So to come from that place from moment to moment rather than from the head, right? Yeah. Rather than from the thought factory in the brain or the uh, uh, identity that we've constructed, the construct, what Locke calls the mini-me, mm -hmm. uh, is uh, really what it's about. So it's really a moment-to-moment -moment, uh, endeavor, uh, for yeah. sure. You know, and to keep coming back, to keep coming back. If there is a practice, it's to keep coming back, you know, to keep unhooking mm -hmm. from uh, the... Uh, the thoughts, the identities, and coming back to, to presence. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'll just piggyback and talk about the heart as the ending. Uh, this kind of open-hearted awareness or heart-mind is, as we talked about, <clears throat> kind of waking up from identification, then into awareness, then back into the body, waking down, and then waking down from head mind to awareness mind to heart mind. So the operational system is, you know, isn't from really awareness mind, but it needs to be embodied. And it's called, you know, bodhicitta or prajna or heart mind is literally a, a feeling that isn't just the emotional heart. It isn't just the heart chakra. It isn't, um, you know, just kind of, um, but it has a different kind of love, almost like an unconditional love that, um, that's, that's so beautiful and intelligence that doesn't have to keep going up to the files in the office of the mind. It's almost like they come by Wi-Fi 
to your home and your heart. Well, the heart, of course, the heart, as they've discovered, has, you know, even through science, has uh, the, the same kinds of uh, cells as the brain, right? Right. So there is a heart mind, uh, yes. you know, a Kajna mind, that, uh, and again, I think it's when we recognize that we are not separate, right? Yes. And there's a recognition that I and all things are inseparable, or as we say, only perceiving, only awareness, mm. that the heart just lights up, you know? Yes. Of, of not being separate in that way. And so to move from that place uh, naturally uh, is a movement from the heart, I guess you could say, but, you know, the heart is everywhere. It's yeah. not just localized here, right? That's right. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. Even, uh, you know, Ramana Maharshi, um, when you read some of the quotes, he, he basically says that the goal, you first, who am I? And then you realize your awareness. And then it's, it's you know, he says that it's, really learning, learning to live from the rhythm or the heart, um, and that that's, that's the goal of all practice. So, and in the same way in, in Buddhism, it's like often mentioned, like, oh, yes, and, you know, bodhi, bodhicitta or, you know, bodhisattva or, you know, like, but it really is uh, the meeting place of the infinite and the finite, um, the transcendent and the imminent, and... Um, it's it's um, it can be it can be light up um, and lead you all the way. But it's different than loving kindness or compassion that you do intentionally. Literally, when you it lights up, and then what I usually say is, once it shows itself naturally as kind of ultimate, then you just fan it a little bit and you let it burn, you know, and you let the love. You get on board and you dance with it. And then it, it's different than controlling it or just being detached from it. You like get in there and dance, swim and play. So. Very good. Well, good to spend this time with you, everyone. And Locke, great to have an opportunity to dialogue and share some of yes. our, uh, our insights and practices that we have. Yeah. So. Um, Again, uh, Locke has uh, his, uh, his work, and uh, I, of course, do the School for Awakening and online classes, so I'll give myself a little plug here at the end. Yeah. Come, come check out my website, and uh, namaste, everyone. Namaste, Locke. Thank you for setting this up. Yes, you're very welcome. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of moved by just talking about the heart-mind and from the heart-mind. I hope you all will get a chance. I mean, the reason that I think both of us teach is Sometimes I say um, the motivation is, you know, just to say, hey, the water's great. Come on in, you know, mm -hmm. is just to say that there's such beauty available. It's not um, it's not easy, but when you discover it, it's simple. It's uh, it's just paradoxical and unique. Um, it's not that it's hard or that you're any of you are incapable of it. It's just um, subtle and if you stay with it and you'll stumble into it and then it'll, you'll discover it's been there all along and it's, um, it's already installed in you. It's not something that needs to be developed or created. So, um, yeah, so I'm, you know, welcome all of you to any retreats or, you know, take a look at my audios or books. If you're interested in those practices, glimpse practices that you can do during the day. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, look forward to meeting you all in person.
sometime and lots of love. Take care. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.